episode 85. I'm Forrest Hall. Yeah, what else am I going to say? Uh, I'm Forrest Hall. It's Real Church Matters. But we talk Real Church Matters because Real Church Matters. And I'm flying solo today. Uh, how are you people out there? How you doing? Doing good? Hopefully you're doing good. As always, housekeeping first. RealChurchMatters.com is the actual website. You go there, you'll see all the, the uh, episodes. If you prefer to use Apple Podcasts, then you can go on there and search Real Church Matters as well. If you're on there, subscribe to us. Give us five stars. Write a review. Those things matter, they, and I appreciate them. If you're on SoundCloud, like us. Follow us, repost us, share us with as many people. Speaking of share, go on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Search Real Church Matters, you'll find us. Follow us back. Uh, point us to people or point people to us. Um, at the end of the day, y'all know the goal is to talk about the word, to give insight to the word, and to hopefully help people grow and uh you play a part in that um i consider you all my family and uh so when we share i'm sharing to help you because i love you as my family and so i want you to love other people and share it too don't just share this share anything that you feel like helps you grow in your faith um shout out to as i i get closer to two years of doing this and almost close to that 100th episode I will never never forget those who encouraged me along the way who started with me um, each and every person who is a recurring member uh, the people who just listened to me before there was ever a microphone and heard me and encourage me to continue to press and learn as much about the word as possible. Um, salutes to you. Thank you to you. Shout outs to Antoinette. Shout outs to Philip, Stuart, my mom. Uh, everybody that's been on here. Felicia. And the more, the more, there are more people who are, are going to come. So I'm excited about that. Um, yeah, so. As we always say, or as sometimes I remember to say, it's obedience over audience. But since I have an audience, let's get to it. So today, what I want to do is answer some questions, if there was questions. And I have a few questions here. I also want to just share some things that's been bugging me. And we'll kind of use this as like a state of the... the, uh, the church or the mind of forest right now, the things that I've been thinking about. One of the things is uh, Christians having an understanding of what Christianity is all about. And I think that as much as we talk about and break down this word, I think that sometimes we miss the most uh, significant point of the word is the fact that This was all done so that we might be restored back to 
our rightful place in God with God uh, through a son. And sometimes you can sit and you can break down all the scripture and stuff and people miss these inherent truths. So you have the scripture that has just been kind of weighing on my mind. And I'm going to just share some things as if I'm just, you know, talking on the phone with somebody. But I think the main thing that uh, I picked up this week is this this idea of us saying, let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. And um, I don't think that we realize that we're supposed to have a mind like Christ as much as we are supposed to look like Christ or talk like Christ or do like Christ. We're supposed to think like Christ. And I think that's missing. I, I shared a little bit of it in Bible study but I wanted to make sure that I get that that kind of information out to as many people as I can. But what does it mean to let this mind be in us? That's Philippians 2 and 5, That is, which is also in Christ Jesus. So the way that he thought, the way that he, the mind that he had that allowed him to engage on this earth, that's more important than what he did. And he knew that. And that's what he was trying to do is share his mind. He would tell people, it's not so much what I said, but it's the fact that I'm saying it because my father said it. It's not so much what I'm doing. It's the fact that I'm doing what my father told me to do. He wanted to underscore that the realities are if you're looking at me because of what I do, if you're looking at me because of what I say, that's only half of it. You need to know the mind behind it. And I think that we're missing that at this point. Philippians 3.15 says, let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. I hope that he's revealing this the same way he revealed it to me. It's like Forrest, you, you're doing things as as close as you would understand Jesus to do. Some of those things are debatable. And I think that's one of the problems with saying, what would Jesus do? Is that sometimes we're just mimicking it with no true mind or intention behind the action that's happening. And so when people get into this thing of what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus didn't marry. So you're not going to get married. Jesus, as far as we know, did not have sex. So y'all not going to have sex. Do you know what I'm saying? Like to, to, to be reflective of God, to be like Christ has less to do with what he did and more to do with the mind in which he did it. So when we go, you could go a little further into Philippians two and five, you go to two and six and he says, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. We are understanding that we can be in the form of God, but it's the mind in which we're in that form that gives God glory. This man who is like God humbled himself, made himself a servant. As it says in the scripture to Philippians 2 and 7, he was obedient even unto death. So you have this situation where we're believers and we're constantly trying to do like Christ, 
but we don't understand it has less to do with do and more to do with the mind in which we do it. Is in in that respect, I think a lot of people are making the same mistake that Cain made. And so even when we look at that, like, let's just just think for a second. Um, when you look at Cain and Abel, who told them to do sacrifices? Who told them to give sacrifices or give something to God? As far as we know, there was no commandment given for them to do it. It was something they committed to do. We don't know why. We just know that once they committed to do it, God was expecting it with a certain heart. How do we know that? Because both men were doing and both both men were doing the best that they could, but not in the best of hearts. Because the mind is what matters. I think if I want to say anything I'm bugged with the most, I think that people are not putting an intention behind their mind. And so I've been paying attention to stuff and I, two, two examples that, that are bugging me. Number one, I have, a, I had a person and they were teaching something. And when they were teaching it, they were teaching it uh, in a way that I thought was dangerous. Now I could sit and listen to them teach it and just, you know, count it off as, oh, they don't understand or they're not teaching it right or they didn't get that clarity and God will give it to them. But at the same time, I started thinking to myself, like, if that was me, wouldn't I want somebody to help me gain clarity? But why am I warring with this? In the midst of me sitting there, I realize I'm warring with it because of what we've created in church where it's less about people's minds and more about what they mind or don't mind. It's more about their feelings than it is their faith. It's more about their their reputation and how they'll be perceived than it is about how God will perceive them or how God perceives the proceedings of church in general. And I'm like, do I what do I care about? Do I care about their feelings or do I care about God's feelings? Do I care about their feelings or do I care about their growth and faith in God? I'm not saying I know everything. And that's another thing that plays in my head, too. In my head, I'm saying, should I say something? Should I address this person? You get what I'm saying? Like, should I should I speak out if I know this will be seen as me being a rabble rouser? I don't know why I just said such a dated term. But it's hilarious. <laughs> Am I seen as a rabble rouser or a troublemaker or instigator or a, a know-it-all or someone who is high-minded? You know what I'm saying? Like, is it pride? Am I trying to demean somebody or put somebody down? These are all things that's running through my mind and clouding the fact of one simple truth. God's word should be in its presented in its clearest form. And we should come together to achieve that clarity. But that's lost when we talk about all this extra human activity. It's like uh, when we look at our relationship with God as a marriage and all these extra things we're doing, they're extramarital 
relationships, their extramarital affairs and actions. They are go outside the bounds of our matrimony. My allegiance should be only to the truth. My allegiance should not be to people, to their feelings, to political correctness, to proper decorum as it is perceived by people. My allegiance should only be to God and in him is is only decency and order. In him is only love. In him is only peace. But I find myself missing out on this important truth because I have to do better at attacking a mind that isn't like Christ and getting back to the point that's Christ. He spoke in a way that we would be offended by. So if you was his mother and he said, my, my family's right here, you would be offended. You would not be talking to Jesus as much as you love him. And Lord, do people love him. You would not be talking to Jesus. You would not engage with Jesus after he did that. But he had no allegiance to anybody. Only to the truth. He had no allegiance to anybody, only to his father. Anything else was an extramarital affair. I feel like that's where we're at with it. And uh, I'm bringing up that example because I decided to speak out. And so I said something and I tried to say it in love and I tried to say it in humility. I tried to say it in peace. But it's not like people took it wrong. I don't know. But I do know that it's, it's going to be something that we always struggle with when we're constantly having to deal with that mind. But I would rather be seen as a know-it-all, seen as a big mouth, seen as a loud mouth, than to speak in terms out of respect and honor for people and their feelings or my feelings in my reputation, then more towards what God feels and what God wants and what he should be honored in. And here's another thing about that. There is, there's nothing wrong with being wrong. I, I probably wrong more than anything on this podcast. I say stuff all the time that I'm probably incorrect about. The most frustrating thing right now as well for me is talking to people who are trying to be smarter than they are. It's like, it's it's dumb smart, it's smart dumb people. It's just people that's constantly trying to perceive themselves to be more than what they are. It's better that we just be who we are. And there's a blessing in that. When somebody says, you know, oh, I didn't understand this, that doesn't diminish who they are in God. When someone's incorrect or seen something in the wrong way, which I do often, and I'm appreciative when people actually come to me and say, you know, the way you saw this, I don't know. The way you engaged with this, I don't know. Somebody asking me, am I still taking questions? (laughs) But I'm texting back. Listen, if you got a question, just ask the question. 
But there's nothing wrong with being wrong. As long as we're coming in here to arrive to a truth. It's something wrong with being wrong when you don't feel like, hey, I don't, I, I feel like I'm, I'm right. And if y'all think I'm wrong, so what? That's not the way to engage it. We would have to be the type of people that's like, it's okay to come with only a part of the truth if you're in the business of trying to get to the whole truth. So there's nothing wrong with being wrong. It's something wrong with the church when we take it as if it's a recital. We take it as if it's a contest or a presentation or an audition. And there's people just preaching and teaching me like, oh, man, I messed up or I was nervous. Yeah, I don't I don't know what that is. I, I can't play with that stuff. We supposed to be just family talking to each other. Even with this podcast, there's people that won't do a podcast. Uh, just a measly old podcast. I fought that for a second. I mean, I'm in 85 episodes now. I'm just talking at this point. If it's appreciated, great. If it's not, it's not. I feel like it's more for me and my connection with God and my obedience to him than it is for whatever this evolves to or what it produces in general. Um, Because of that, I want to move in a way that reflects how we should move because it can't, it can't, we can't be bothered with this other stuff. So when it comes to the podcast the, or anything, you can't be worried about what people are going to think. None of us can. We just have to be desiring to come to a truth. <clears throat> so to wrap it up, because I didn't want to talk all about this, but we should have the mind of Christ. So that takes us, that takes us for to a place where we have to realize that this is boiling down to the mind. So that's something to think about. The other thing, uh, somebody asked, what does money have to do with the kingdom of God? What does money have to do with the kingdom of God? Uh, and it's interesting. I don't mind talking about this stuff. Um, so what I'm going to do is just break it down to simple. What do we have to do with the kingdom of God? When I say I'm about my father's business, what does that look like? Because I think a lot of people are forgetting what this is all about. So uh, once we get to the point, we, we understand there's a business of church that is suffocating and choking the business of the father. Okay. There we go. Got it. I'm, I'm just not trying to be that person no more. That is focused on those things that we know are wrong but is not tending to the matters that God is concerned about. As he said in the scripture, the weightier things. So when we talk about money, and money was talked about in the Bible, this money that we're talking about has something to do with the kingdom of God. It's just impossible to use money in the kingdom of God when money is your God.
And that's what we're getting to. We're, we are talking about intention. So if I'm talking about tithing, and maybe maybe this person is asking this question, is talking about tithing. So they're, they're saying, what does money have to do with the kingdom of God? Let me tell you what money has to do. It has to do a whole lot with the kingdom of God. Because God's kingdom is us. And if God's kingdom is us, then he is concerned about us and how we move. And so money plays a part in that. No different than Jesus grabbing a fish when this man came to him about taxes and he pulled a coin out of it and gave it to him. But at, before he did it, he told him, we, we don't concern ourselves with these things. We're not of this kingdom. So we don't owe taxes. But since this is a concern of yours, I want to meet this need so we can go about doing the father's business. There are certain things that we can't get around and there's certain things, obstacles we're placing in our way. And that's dangerous. It's all about the engagement. And so when we talk about the great commission, all right, he told us to, that we should be going out to the highways and the byways and we should be teaching the gospel that men ought to obey. That's what we should be doing. We shouldn't be playing any games with, with all of this foolishness uh, that we're involved in. We should be moving in a way that takes us to the Great Commission. What's the Great Commission? This is the instructions that God gave to Christ to relay to us. In Matthew 28, 16 through 20, he says, Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountains where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age or end of time. He said three things there. Go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the third thing, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. My question would be, how much does that cost? If we're in the business of the Father, how much of a budget do we need to do those three things? And before somebody say, nothing. You don't need nothing to do. You can easily just go and make disciples. It don't cost nothing. Or you go and baptize people. It don't cost nothing. You go and teach people to obey. You could teach them the word and teach them to obey. Teaching don't cost nothing. Before you say that, to be careful. Because trust me, everything costs. Everything costs. Just the simple, let's take it from the simple thing. Let's take baptizing. Where, where are we baptizing them at? Where are we baptizing them? Are we, we going to the ocean? Because the, the ocean is free. Where are we going? Are we going to baptize them in a building? 
How are we getting all these people to this beach or this ocean? Since the water there is free. I guess you do some places you got to have a permit to even do that stuff. So let's say you got the permit. The permit didn't cost you. How did you get everybody there? Did you, t- did you get a, a bus to take everybody there? Was everybody responsible for finding their own transportation? Did they all walk? Do you get what I'm saying? Like there's costs associated with just living. So because there's costs associated with just living, there's a cost associated with just doing these three simple truths that Jesus shared. He tells us to make disciples. Making disciples going to cost not just money. It's going to cost time. It's going to cost energy. It's going to cost a lot. We could say all day is free. I teach Bible study on Tuesday. I was telling the people that they need to take notes. And God put on my heart, he said, you, to show them that you are serious about them taking notes. What better way to show them your conviction than through sacrifice? So what I did was I bought a ton of Bibles. I bought a ton of notepads, not just any old notepads. I ain't get no legal pads. I went and got actual books, the moleskin books. I love to write in those things. I wanted them to experience the feeling I get when I crack that thing open and start writing and, and jotting down truths from the word and things that God put on my heart. Sometimes scripture, sometimes notes from the sermon, sometimes songs, sometimes just poems, sometimes just messages, just little blurbs that I can go back and read and be inspired by. I wanted them to experience that. I can't tell them to take notes and not show them in some way. And everybody don't have money to get those things. So I took $400. What? $400? You spent your own money? Yeah, I spent my own money. Because, yeah, they could take notes without that. They could. But to encourage them and to teach them and to be an example to them and to challenge them. Sometimes you got to do some things that cost and that has sometimes a financial cost to it. So what does money have to do with the kingdom of God it has to do with it? But my question is, is not just what does the money have to do with the kingdom of God, but what are you doing with the money of the kingdom of God? I feel like everything in my bank account is God's money. I'm just be honest with you. So once I started realizing that, I stopped quibbling about tithing. I stopped quibbling about 10% when he owned 100% of me and my existence. I'm not going to parse about 10%. I'm not going to have a conversation about tithes. If you go to a church and you feel the people misallocate those funds, don't give them money. But then I would I wouldn't tell you to go to that church. But my question is, if you're not giving to your church, are you still funding the father's business? I can't support anybody that's not trying to give money to a church if you're not 
pulling your money from the church and making sure it goes to the father's business. I don't like when people complain about the Red Cross and say half that money didn't make it to New Orleans or half the money people give through taxes to FEMA is misallocated and wasted. Great. So now that you know that, how are you circumventing the foul part and still getting the job done? Don't say something's corrupt and wrong and don't find a way to still get the job done. You ain't going to pay your tithes. That's fine. You ain't going to give offering. That's fine. I, I, I'll be, I would be hard pressed to understand how you could go to a church that you don't feel you can trust them to take a portion of what's God's, a portion of the money that God has allotted to you and trust them to do the father's business. If you go to a church like that, you need to change to another church. Go to a church that you feel is doing what they should with the money. If you can't find one, shame on you. There is one. God will lead you to one. I know he will. You want to know why? Because he gave us the great commission. He challenged us to do these three things. If you don't go to a church that does those three things, find one that does. But to not go to a church at all is crazy. If you don't go to a church that does those three things, you would have to be doing those three things within the confines of your life. That means you would have to be a church. Either way, you cannot avoid church. So we look at this. This is interesting because I actually brought this up um, in conversation and I expounded on it in Bible study. When we look at... uh, how Jesus engaged with this corruption. So we take the fact that he walked into a synagogue and he said they were a den of vipers. He called them a den of vipers. So he went here, he started tearing everything up and he said, you guys are a brood of vipers. You are, look what you've done to the church. And he says, I'm I'm not okay with you guys doing this and turning this place to a den of iniquity. I'm not not fine with that. And so when I look at those scriptures and I see that God is, uh, Jesus is talking like this. uh, I understand what he's saying. I understand that he is not condemning the church. So it's Matthew 21, 13. And he says, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. So he's he's given this interesting context and bear with me. You have this synagogue. The synagogue represents uh, the old religion. Jesus is coming to do away with the old religion. So he didn't say this house is what I want it to be. He said it is written. This house will will be called a house of prayer He didn't say it is called a house of prayer He said it will be called He's using that future tense He's using this future tense to tell people Hey, I came into this place I'm okay with being here Because he was there the whole time He was a child All the way up to an adult Discussing, talking with these people Even though he didn't He knew that they had an old way of thinking They would have to change 
they would have to change. Simple example of they had an old way of thinking that they had to change. When Jesus told them they had to be born again, the dude said, well, so what am I supposed to do? Go back up in my mother? This is a person with an old way of thinking. This is what he had to contend with. This is what he had to deal with. So he's saying these people, this church, this synagogue, he said, when it's all said and done, this is going to be a house of prayer. He said, but right now, it ain't even what y'all think it is. You have turned it and you are making it a den of robbers. A den of robbers or a den of thieves. Do you, you guys understand? Like, or a, a, yeah, let's, let's just say a den of thieves, a den of robbers. So when a person is asking, what does money have to do with the kingdom of God? They're speaking to the fact that the church is being made into, still being made into this den of thieves or robbers. But that's not the intention. You can't throw out the den just because it's filled with robbers, especially when it says the word says this place will be a house of prayer. Who's going to who's going to be the, the people that help to put this in the right place? Who's going to be a people that allow God to use them to fulfill his word because he uses us? So if we have a negative connotation of church, if we see church a certain way, I promise you is you're going to walk out the door because you're going to walk in there and see what Jesus saw. You're going to walk in there and see what Jesus saw. And guess what you're going to do? You're not going to you're not going to respond like Jesus did. You're just going to walk out. How did Jesus respond? Matthew 21 verse 12. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He drove them out. He just got gone get. He just he, he got rid of all of them. Can you do that? Now you know churches. You know churches that are filled with robbers and people who are buying and selling. Leveraging and monetizing the gospel in multiple forms. Do you know what you would do and how you would drive them out? Because you're not walking up in there and just driving people out. You're not going to walk up in. I can't. I don't even want to name no. <laughs> I don't want to name no pastors. I don't want to name no churches. But insert famous preacher. From insert famous church And you not going in there And kicking him out of his church You won't even make it to him One person can't drive people out In that way We have to change the engagement In how we see this I believe that everything Jesus did physically We should operate in spiritually the heart and the mind in which he did things, the purpose in which he did things. He did, he did, this is the way he was led to not stand for something. You may be led another way. That might mean you leaving. It just might mean that. But you will not, just because you leave a church don't mean you'll leave the church. And we leave the church in our hearts, in our minds, 
when we decide the place is unfixable. It's like uh, I was watching a show, and in the show, they, they bought the house. They wanted to flip the house. They buy the house. The structural damage that they surveyed, that the inspector surveyed, he said it's beyond fixing. You would have to raise this whole thing. You would have to demolish, destroy, level this whole thing. It's not salvageable. There are people who go into church, see that it's a place, a den of robbers, and they deem the place uninhabitable, condemned, and they walk out. But they don't just deem that place. They deem church in general. Just They just, they see one faulty structure and they slap condemned on the whole faith. It's unfortunate because that's not what Jesus reflects in this scripture. He drove them out. Sometimes you got to drive yourself out because you can't drive them out. But one thing about it, they couldn't occupy the same space. Jesus said, somebody got to go. And he had the power to drive them out. You can't occupy. Come on, guys. I'm at the church I'm at because I know this place ain't a den of robbers. I know it's not. It got a long way to go, but I know it's not a den of robbers. I know it's not marked as condemned. And even if it was, I know that it's not uninhabitable. That God can't do a work here. That God can't help. And some of y'all are on the fence about church in general and especially your local church in which you attend. And some people, this is not even, this is of no consequence. Some people just go to big churches. It's a machine. The machine needs money. So you understand that truth. But it's hard to, you don't go into the details of seeing that, yeah, while the machine needs money, there's another machine going on that is fueling itself as well. You don't get into all that. And if that's you, God bless you. My prayers are with you. But for those who are concerned about the, the integrity, the verity, the virtue of the church, then this is something you contend with. You do walk into places and see things you don't like. But you can't drive them out. So you got to go sometimes. But that's that you got. That's why I said you can't do what Jesus did. You got to think how Jesus thought. Next part of that verse 12, he says he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. When I look at this stuff like these money changers and these people selling doves, I, I, I can't. It's hard. I'm hard pressed to see how selling things. How that fits in. That's not what I mean when we, we say fund the kingdom. We have to fund the kingdom. Sometimes we have to. There's money that is needed to present a, a building, a a place in which people can come worship. You know, some people say, well, you could do it in your house. Everybody ain't coming to your house. That's just the thing. That's the thing. Some people are going to come to your house. I don't care if you have a nice house or a, a messed up house. I don't care if you have an apartment. I don't care if you have no house. Some people going to come to where you are because they just, they, they like you like that. They with you like that. 
Some people, they not coming to where you are because they can't see past it. Sometimes we have to have, we, we can't divorce all of this stuff. It, it gets real messy when we, we move like that. But there's certain things that are truths that we have to understand. And one of them is, what in the world do doves, do you know what I'm saying? And exchanging money. Coins and currency to from one thing to another. We need those things. But he's saying this is not the place for them. Because some people don't know what money changing is. When we say money changes, we are talking about those who. It was a, it was a courtyard. And it's, it's tons of people who are exchanging, changing over money from one uh, currency to another These are things that are needed Even today You gotta go somewhere And ex- exchange your funds When you're in a different town Or a different country He just was saying Jesus is saying This is not the place for it That's what he means when he says This is a house of prayer He's delineating or defining What this place is for So he's telling us This is supposed This will be a place Of prayer This will be a place of worship and spiritual engagement with God. This will not be a place to be used in this capacity. Sometimes we got to understand that the problem isn't that what they're doing is wrong. The problem is, is that it's the wrong place. The same way I feel about many engagements that happen in the church. I feel like they're not wrong. This is just the wrong place for it Why are they selling doves Anybody ever asked themselves that Anybody ever asked themselves Why in the world were these people Selling doves Well here's the thing They're selling the doves For poor people To give sacrifices Specifically Women Because they couldn't even They couldn't afford A bigger sacrifice So they're selling these doves for them to do it. But Jesus didn't want these things to happen in the temple. He didn't want anybody carrying merchandise or dealing in any way. Even at that time, Jesus was focused on people knowing the reason to come in the church. I feel like the question is less about money and more about What are the things that are distracting people in the church that Jesus would walk in here and say, this is a distraction. Take it outside. Leave it out there. These are distracting from the purposes of coming. No different than Paul. Paul had an issue with communion at one point. Is there anything wrong with communion? No, But the way they were using communion, he says, some of y'all needed a bite to eat and you come in here to get something to eat. We are feasting and we're losing the purpose of communion. And so I'm pretty sure there's people is like, no, no, the whole time I'm eating, I'm remembering. He said, no, y'all brothers and sisters eat at home. Right now, we are doing this for this reason. And we have to fight to retain the reason in which we're doing it. 
Same thing for church. We're supposed to be breaking bread with one another. We're supposed to be hearing the word. We're supposed to be teaching and growing, doing <clears throat> the, the great commission, doing the three things that Jesus called for. What, and, you, and you, I'm asking y'all a question now, what prevents us or is getting in the way of or is distracting from doing those three things? I've been asking myself this even in my engagements with people. What is preventing me from making them a disciple of Christ? What is preventing me from baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And what is preventing me from teaching them that which they should obey? When you start asking yourself those questions, Nobody's going to let, if your life don't look the way it should look, nobody's going to let you baptize them. And nobody's going to believe, they might let you baptize them, but they won't truly believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit by which you baptize them in. They won't believe that by faith if they have no faith in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in you. Nobody's going to let you teach them and let what the words that you say prompt them to obey them if you don't obey them yourself. Nobody is going to let you disciple them. Nobody's even going to give you the time needed to disciple them when you are distracting from discipling. You don't make them want to follow Jesus through following you. You make them want to run from you And run from Jesus. We got to start thinking about this stuff. Hopefully I answered the question. What does money have to do with the kingdom? Has to do with the kingdom. But it's only when you do with it for the kingdom. And that line is for those who have the mind of Christ to discern and judge. And if you're at a place that is operating in a certain way and you look at it and don't feel like it's good and it reflects God and you're not going to speak to the power structure and you're not going to drive them out and you're not going to make them uncomfortable, then guess what? You might want to go and find a place. But don't just go and condemn church as a whole because you went to a whole of a church. It's just the realities. Money has something to do with it. I don't want to keep reiterating, but money has something to do with it. There's tons of scriptures that speak to that. The first church, uh, the, the first thing these guys did when they gave their life to Christ, the Holy Spirit prompted them to sell all they had and give it to the elders. So, the, you know, and the, here's the funny thing. We not even called to do what they did. We just called to be led by the spirit they were led by. So, uh, you know, so when people got to, I'm leery when people are asking certain questions and trying to expose certain things because they the questions ultimately not only expose the things you wanted them to, but they expose some things 
in us. And that's the cool thing about questions. Though. So that's the reality of that. Was there another? Man, I spent so much time on that. Was there something else? Oh, yes, there was. So back to the mind thing for a second. So I had a conversation well, no, two things. I'm a, hopefully, I'll touch on both of them. Number one, uh, Christians, let me hip y'all to something. Nobody's obligated to answer your calls. Nobody's obligated to answer your texts. Nobody's obligated to, to do anything as it relates to you. Hopefully, they are prompted by the Spirit. I'm not always prompted to answer my phone. But people look at it a certain way because they want to look at people through the lens of their feelings and not through the lens of God's faith, of of faith in God. I I promise you, there are times where people call me and God put it on my heart like, at this time, they don't need to talk to you. They don't need to speak to you. And I'm not going to answer the phone and say that to you. I'm just not going to answer the phone. There's times where I'm going to be frank with y'all as a minister. There's times where people study and every time they study, they got a question. Now, that's fine. I know people got questions, but sometimes you just need to sit and study the word and give the word a chance to develop and grow in you. I can tell every time some people study because that's the time they, they got. That's the only time they text them. I'm just saying, I'm not saying you can't have burning questions. I'm just saying, sometimes just let the word work in you. Be led. Be led. We're not, we not encyclopedias. When I say we, I'm talking about anybody you deem to know scripture or you trust their understanding or whatever. They're not there just to be your Google. Google shouldn't even be your Google. Sometimes y'all need to read the word. I, I do it all the time now. I will just read the word. I'm not reading no concordance. I'm not Googling no words. I'm not trying to get the Hebrew. I'm just trying to get what God is trying to say to me as it relates to scripture. Sometimes he relays certain things to me that's just for me. And I'm starting to understand I don't need to share everything that he opens my eyes to. Because you got to be in a certain place for certain things to even make sense. Just like right now, I'm sharing certain things and they just go on swoop and go right over people's heads. They ain't going to get it. That don't make them less of a Christian. That just means their eyes haven't adjusted to that truth yet. I like looking at it that way. I've been having some eye issues. So certain times it takes a minute for my eyes to focus on something. And it it takes me a second to make out what is really there. And I told the woman when she was doing the eye exam, I was like, if you give me a second, my eyes to adjust, I can read it. I can read the smallest print. It's just it's taking more time to adjust to it than it used to. And in the same way, we're not used to looking at the word. Some of y'all just need to give yourself a second to just adjust. You look at it for a second and say it's blurry. Give, Give yourself some time. Just calm down. Please. Because you're missing stuff. People so eager to, you got to do this in a balance. I do a lot of talking about the word, 
But for every hour I probably spend yapping my mouth about God's word, I, I promise you I'm spending greater amounts of time just wrestling with it in my own heart. I'm not always so quick to hear something and then say, run to a bunch of people, say, what say you? Sometimes just sit with it. It's just like how people are with music. Like they listen to an album for one hour and they already like this a classic or it's trash. Like we want these immediate responses and that's not the way God works. He said, let patience have its perfect work. That means you're going to have to let patience have its perfect work. Any work that's not done by patience ain't perfect. Man, that was good. But that's the reality. Any work that's done without patience lacks perfection. Just, just wait on it. Just sit there. Just meditate. You don't always have to run for your phone. You don't always have to run for a definition or immediate answer, understanding some stuff you got to sit with and be okay with sitting with it. Please. Last thing. I didn't got on some tangents today, but this is good. This is uh, it's helpful for me. This is uh, this is the good type of venting, which takes us to my last thing. Our reality about how we feel is dangerous. The reality of your feelings contend, fight with, go against the reality of God. The more you are engaged with your feelings, the less you are engaged with God and the truth of God. I was having a text conversation. And in the text conversation, I could tell that the person was seeing what I was saying and taking it in the wrong intention. They became defensive. They became evasive. Those are frustrating things. But they're acknowledging, and they don't understand this. Well, so maybe they do. But they're acknowledging how they feel more than the reality of the situation. The situation becomes that reality through their response and how they feel. I can't change that in people. I'm free from that. But what I do understand is that I better reflect this thing that I'm talking about. And so I have to absolve myself of feelings. Guess what that means? I cannot exercise feelings. One of the ways we exercise feelings is venting. We keep thinking that we're supposed to be allowed to vent. The Bible tells us to cast down thoughts. Now, if we cast down thoughts that acknowledge themselves or exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, we never get to the point of using our thumbs to share how we feel. We never get to the point of using our mouth and our vocal cords and our tongues to share how we feel because how we feel never makes it to those gates. We let a lot through our thumbs and a lot through our mouths that should have been dead in the mind. We can't cast down texts. Once it's sent, it's sent, baby. I know for a second they let you undo texts now. And I I know some people probably appreciate that, but I don't even think that you have that type of discerning wherewithal to double back on something within the time frame they are giving you to undo it. The reality is you can't cast down a text. You can't cast down your words. They've already been spoken. They've already been spoken. But you've been called to and tasked to and commanded to 
and told that you ought to cast down every thought and every imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We acknowledge our feelings. We bow before the throne of our feelings. We heed and honor our emotions. We move to the whims of them more than we move to the will of God. It's dangerous. Somebody texts me something in anger. It wasn't about me, but it was about somebody else. But I took offense to it because I love them. I love them enough to say, you shouldn't look like this. And here's the thing. When y'all close to people, hear me out with this. Your closeness with a person doesn't, isn't defined by your ability to let your hair down with them. Your closeness with a person. A lot of times people share intimacies and closeness and you're just thick as thieves. But that's paper thin compared to the relationship God wants us to forge with people. Blood is thicker than water, but if it ain't Jesus' blood, it it wash out just as good. It ain't it ain't it ain't working. It's not it's not strong enough. So we sharing, we're bearing our nakedness to people. We're being quote unquote honest to people. Which we're we're telling people no one knows what it's like to be me. That the, the reality is, is that you're saying you, no one knows what it's like to feel like me. And I'll never know. And then again, I will. Because the human experience is full of the same unique yet similar feels. The things that make us feel these ways are different, but the feels are always the same. And the problem is, is that we are honoring the fields and we identify the fields as us. Even though these fields are created through things that have nothing to do with us. So as I close out, I just want to remind y'all, there's certain things when you die, they're going to stay on earth. Other things, they're going to go with you. I know for sure Feelings stay here. Revelations tells us, he said, you know, where y'all going? Ain't no crying. You want to know why it ain't no crying? Because ain't no tear ducts. You want to know why it ain't no tear duct? Because ain't no body. You want to know why it ain't no body that can send a signal to make tear ducts fill with tears? Because there ain't no feelings no more. The thing I cry about all types of stuff. There, there will be no crying where I'm going because I won't feel nothing. I asked the question. I said, what do faith feel like? Somebody answered me in a very appropriate way. They said it feel like pain. <laughs> but honestly, there's no feel good to faith. There's <laughs> no feel good to faith. They said that Jesus had to learn through his suffering. What do you think you got to do? I talked about a lot of stuff, but um, hopefully this was helpful to somebody. And if it wasn't, you know, tell me why it wasn't too. I don't do this a lot, but let me make sure I do this. Ask me at Real Church Matters is the email. You are welcome to ask me a question. If I thought it, it was decent and in order, I would 
put my my phone number out here. But um, I think we'll we'll suffice for the email, and just ask questions if you have them or opinions. We can just engage. I'm, I'm welcome to engagement and learning and growing. So that's it for me. That's episode 85. I think it's 85. I don't even know. Might not be. I think it might be 86. Yeah, it might be 86. It's one of them. We're, we just gonna call this. Um, we can call this. Uh, I don't know what we can call. It. I'm forced to. This your church matters. God bless.